That is awesome. Man, they did good. Okay. You know, one thing about chili is that uh, that's what we have cooking back there is chili. You don't smell it. Do y'all smell the chili? Yeah. You don't smell it as much as some of the others. I'm excited about it. Listen, I want to tell you, if you are thinking um, that I didn't bring any chili, so I can't stay, please stay. I made so much chili myself, I think I can feed half of you all on my own. I made a lot of chili. Uh, it's the best chili, by the way. It will be judged, and uh, we'll, we'll have that verified after that it's the best that's here. Um, not the hottest, which is another one of the categories. I don't know if anybody made theirs the hottest. Uh, the meatiest, vegetarian, we got all that. I brought some, uh, some cornbread. I should say Teresa did help with all of that, so she did it all. Anyway, all right. Hey, um, we're going to get going on this, and uh, we are running short on time, but I have something that I want to talk about today, and uh, I promise not to take a lot of time to do this. We're in the middle of a series of messages called Not a Fan, and uh, we're discovering that Jesus doesn't want only fans. He wants completely devoted followers. And uh, the last couple of weeks we've been digging into that. If you have missed any of that, please get on our uh, website or get on the app. Uh, we have a podcast that you can download and listen to. I would definitely encourage you, this not a fan series, uh, to listen to the messages that you've missed. Or you can watch them or listen to them. Um, go to our website for that. But today, uh, the message is titled Yada Yada. Uh, not a reference to a, a popular phrase from a popular sitcom not very long ago, yada yada. Um, for those Seinfeld fans, you might remember that. And we're going to talk about what yada is shortly. But I have a scripture that I want to read, and uh, it is a little bit longer than some others that we've done. If you want to follow along in the notes for today's message, you can go to the church app and go to the section that has the sermon notes. Uh, you can also get it from the Bible app. But we're going to look at Luke chapter 7, and we're going to start with verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. You guys will remember this story. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner." Man, we're really setting this up, right? So Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. It's crazy. Like he's having these thoughts. Then he's like, tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say to themselves, 
Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's a crazy story, right? We read about two people who encountered Jesus in two very different ways. And so I want to draw the, uh, show you the, the difference between them to help you understand what's actually going on here. Most of the time when we read the story, we focus on the woman. But this time, I want to focus kind of on Simon a little bit and then the woman. Um, you see, Jesus is invited to eat at Simon, who's a Pharisee. He's invited to eat at his house. And so when he comes over, Simon doesn't give Jesus a kiss when he comes in. Not even a kiss on the hand. Like doesn't, which to us might be strange when you come to my house, I'm not going to greet you with a kiss. Maybe my wife, I would greet with a kiss, but the rest of you, not. Man, tough crowd today. Not even a joke all right so we're not kissing each other at my house but in their custom they did kiss each other it was a, a and in certain European countries it is something they do like this is not something that's out of the realm um, typically you also would have washed the feet of your guest when they came over they would come over and they had sandals they're walking around sandals or barefoot and so to keep the houses clean they wash feet and uh, they would either wash the feet themselves or have a servant do it neither of those happened for Jesus his feet go unwashed that's interesting and then when you had a guest especially a dignified guest somebody who was of great importance you would anoint them with oil when they came over that was their custom None of these things happened for Jesus. His feet didn't get washed. He wasn't greeted with a kiss. And there was no oil anointing. Like what, what's going on in this story? So Jesus is eating in the house of what I would call a pretender. Um, he's, he's in the house and he's eating. And in comes this woman. And this woman, when she comes in, is obviously broken. She's crying and she's sobbing. And when she walks in, everybody would have known that she is a woman of ill repute. She's an undesirable, somebody that you wouldn't want to hang around. Somebody that in their time, if you touched her, you would have been considered unclean. Like these things would have been somebody you wouldn't want to be around. So there would have already been murmurings about what is this woman doing here? She's sobbing and she's weeping. Imagine with me, if you will, she comes to Jesus and she kneels down at Jesus' feet and she begins to cry, continues to cry and through her sobs, the tears are dripping off of her cheek and her eyes now onto his feet. And she notices as they drip onto his feet that the tears are washing the dirt away. You, you can imagine in your mind's eye the streaks of dirt that are running off of, her, of his feet. And so she looks and she thinks to herself, that's strange. His feet should have been washed when he came in. So maybe now she's a little bit embarrassed about the fact that Jesus is in this house and his feet weren't washed. I don't, honestly, it doesn't say this, but I don't think she had any of this planned. She sees and she's sobbing and the tears are falling on his feet and so she begins to wipe them off with her hair. It would have been the closest thing she had available. She wouldn't have been able to do much with her clothes or any there, she didn't have rags with her apparently so she just begins to wipe them off with her hair and the whole place would have been thinking what in the world is going on but apparently nobody said anything and Jesus just continued to allow it to happen and as his feet get washed off she pulls out this bar this uh, 
jar of alabaster perfume. It, and there, we read in other um, places how expensive this jar of perfume was. And she pours it on his feet. What a crazy story. I mean, have you ever thought about or stopped to think about the significance of what's going on, the significance of what's happening? And I'm sure all of you have at some point cried in such a way that you understand that amount of tears it would take. So we're gonna come back to this, but I wanna pause just a minute and talk to you about intimacy. That was such an intimate act it's hard for us to fathom. Now, I'm not sure if you knew this. I know that uh, some of the newer babies around do know this. Gabby and Bruno, Gabby was sharing just last night at our night of worship. When a baby's born, it cries a lot. Like, did you know that? It happens. Um, unless you're uh, Amanda, she was telling me how wonderful Harper is. Doesn't cry ever. The perfect baby. But it makes sense that babies would cry, right? They have no way to communicate what they're feeling. Um, they, don't, they, they can't let you know what they need. I mean, that is the way Caden, my 10-year-old, is now. He just cries all the I'm just kidding, he doesn't. <laughs> but I can remember when my kids were that way, when they cried a lot, right? And, and, and it makes sense because, and, and you would go through this process of elimination. Something's wrong. They cry, you pick them up. You hug them, you feed them, you change their diaper. You go through all of the things. What is wrong with this baby and I'm not sure what it is about moms but I can remember it was like Sarisa just knew she just knew she would hear her cry and she'd say oh he's tired time for a nap you know grab him up put him to sleep no problem sure enough all I needed was a nap or she, she would hear a certain cry and she'd say oh she's hungry time to eat sure enough man you feed him give him a bottle there ride his rain no problems at all I never understood how a mom could do that my favorite was when she would say, oh, he needs a diaper changed. You're up. <laughs> I'll be like, no, I'm not up. But really, you can't argue with the baby whisperer, you know? Teresa, she's amazing. She, she had and has an intimate, intuitive connection with our kids. She just knows them. She knows their moods. She knows their routines. She knows when they're sad. She knows when they need some sleep. She can still look at them today and say like, okay, you're talking like that because you need a nap. <laughs> Seriously. Like you were up too late last night. I'm not sure. It was like you need to go to sleep. Like she just knows. And, and there's this intimate bond between a mother and her child. I, when Morgan was, man, I'm sure my kids get tired of me telling stories. When Morgan was an infant, she was baby, baby. She was really, the first six months of her life, we were wondering, what did we just do? <laughs> like, this is, this is a nightmare. We have done something entirely wrong. We didn't know. And uh, she had what we dubbed the demon scream, Morgan did. And just for no reason, she would just start screaming, like scream crying. We couldn't figure out what was going on. Like, something's wrong. We took her to the doctor. We took, we couldn't, there was no understanding what was happening to Morgan. And, you know, we would take her and put her in the church nursery. And the church nursery workers, you know, inevitably sometime in that morning, they would be like, um, excuse me, uh, your child is doing the demon scream again. Would you please come? And, but Sarisa could, in a matter of moments, knock it out of her. Not literally. She, she didn't knock her. She would just wrap her up super tight. That was always the trick. 
and then she would you know bottom patter a little harder than what you think would be necessary and then all of a sudden she just quit crying it was amazing but somehow a mom can walk into a room hear a baby and somehow know how to calm the baby down there's something intimate about that being known and being made known completely all right, so you understand it. Essentially, that's intimacy. Until you've witnessed it, until you've seen it, you, I can explain it to you all day long, but you're never gonna understand that intimacy. You'll know what it is. You're gonna know about it, but you're not gonna understand it. Okay, that's what I'm going at. And, and so in this series, you're like, where does it have anything to do with this? So let's get back to the series of Not a Fan. God knows you intimately. He wants to know you intimately. Probably the best word for intimacy in uh, the, the Hebrew language is the word know. It's first used, you'll understand this, Genesis 4.1. Uh, in the King James, it says this, that Adam knew his wife, Eve. Adam knew his wife, Eve. You could be like, well, I know a lot of people. Listen, this is an intimate word for know. The word is yada. Hence today's title. The definition of yada is to know and to be known completely. Now to help you understand its level of intimacy, if you read it in the NIV, the NIV, and this is probably what your Bibles say today, puts it in a little better context of what's happening. Um, Adam lay with his wife Eve. That gives you a little context about this word yada. And, and I, want, I don't wanna rush past this. Like I wanna stay here for just a minute. This yada moment between husband and wife is a very intimate moment. It is connecting on every level to know and to be known. It's a beautiful picture of the intimacy between a husband and a wife. Now listen, there's something to be said about the sacredness of physical intimacy. When we first read about this act, it's about intimacy. It's not the physical part of it. There are other Hebrew words that could be used. And in fact, there are other Hebrew words used later. But here, it's an intimate connection. One Hebrew author calls it a mingling of souls. You understanding what we're talking about? The, the intimacy involved in this word yada. If you trace that word yada through the Old Testament, you're gonna find it over and over and over again. It's the same word used to describe God's relationship with us. Isn't that strange? Adam yada, his wife Eve, God yada, us. It's an intimate mingling of souls. This is how the scripture describes that God knows you and how God wants to be known by you. It's weird that this same connection between a husband and a wife, the same word used for that connection is the same word used when God wants to know you. This is the level of intimacy that God wants to know you with. In such a way and, and I believe that God knows us that way. The question is, are we knowing God like that? It changed the way I view my relationship with God, to be honest. 
as, in fact, a little embarrassed, maybe, that I have this level of yada with my wife, but I'm not doing that same intimacy with God. I wasn't connecting with the God the way that I connected with her, but learning that has taught me something. My relationship with God is not a weekend fling. It's not a casual encounter. It is yada. It is a deep, knowing, intimate relationship with God. And to help you understand, David uses this word. When you read Psalm 139, he uses it about six times in just this short phrase. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You yada. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. Every time, yada. You know me. You know, you know, you know. David speaks to God in this intimate kind of a way. It says, God, you know how I feel when I'm hurt. You know how I feel whenever I'm in trouble. You know what I'm thinking. You know me. The next thing is God wants you to know yada him you know it's crazy that God knows us that deeply and intimately it's even more crazy to think that God invites us to know him he wants us to mingle our souls with his something that I just like a revelation this week, and I know that my staff's gonna get tired of hearing me talk about this because it, it just blew my mind. I try to act all cool like, yeah, I knew this, but really, I'm, this week I'm like, wow. So I was reading about um, mission, I was reading about mission, if you believe it or not, and this, uh, I was thinking in, in this book, it talks about the mission of God, and we discover the mission that God has called us to by looking at the mission of God. And the mission of God is discovered in relationship between the Trinity, Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Jesus describes it to us when he says, as the Father has loved me and I have loved you, so you must love others. This is in the book of John. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. God, Jesus talks about the type of love that he has with his father is the same kind of love that he has given to us and is the same kind of love he wants us to share with others. That's one thing. The second thing is he talks about being made one as I am in the father and he is in me, so you are in me also. So he's also then inviting the disciples to share in this trinitarian love and become one with him as he and his father are one i I don't understand like i've read that you've read that but as i read this as i'm preparing for this week and i'm like yada like jesus is saying this is crazy here's the trinity father son holy spirit the most intimate thing you can imagine right we believe one god three parts 
one God. And that intimacy, we think we never, ever have an opportunity at. But that's not true because he invites us into oneness with him. And that oneness with him is the same oneness that he has with his father. And it shares the same love that he has with his father. Like that's an intimacy that is hard for us to fathom. And we might say, oh, you know, I can never, we can never. And we'll say things like, I'm only human. You are only human. But when you become sourced by the spirit, now you're sharing this level of intimacy not only are you capable of being holy far and above anything that you ever thought possible, you are expected because he has invited you into this. It's, a, it's crazy. Like, I don't know if that does any expansion of your mind. And then we go back to Hebrew and, and God's saying, yada me. Yada me. And then Jesus comes and says, oh, you guys, y'all are so dense. Look, this is how you do it. But then we gotta take it one step further. And this is something that is difficult for us because we allow our human nature. We have got to allow the Holy Spirit to replace that nature, that desire to sin, right? That's, that's what being sanctified is. Holy Spirit, I want only what you want. I don't want what I want anymore. I want what you want. Please fill me with yourself. And as he does that, he empowers us to love other people in such a way that now we're inviting them into the oneness that we have with the Spirit. We're inviting them into, you see how it all works? It's, it's crazy. And all he says is, yada me. I yada you. Will you yada me? He's opened his heart and he said, I want you to know me more closely, more intimately than anyone else ever has. I want to know, I want you to know my heart. I want you to connect with me on a level that is unfathomable, that can't be reached without the most vulnerable intimacy. I want our souls to come together. It's what Jesus, is what God is saying. It's intimate. Reading something like that is neat. As I read it on my notes here, I want to know you. I want you to know me more closely and intimately than you know anyone else. I want you to know my heart, to connect with me on a level that can only be reached through the most vulnerable intimacy. I want our souls to come together for both of us to know the other deeply and wholly. Like it's, it's neat to read, but it's poetic. It's beautiful. It's like classic literature. And I think we're okay reading it. But if somebody sent you that letter, you would be like, what did you just do? Probably freaked out a little bit, right? Reading it from a real person would probably kind of make us blush. Have you ever wrote your spouse a letter like that? I want to know you so intimately that you know my thoughts and I know your thoughts. I want our souls to come together. Listen, we have a hard time dealing with intimacy. I mean, we, a lot of us avoid it. And when it's right in our faces, we kind of lose it. 
So for us to imagine the image of a woman who's having this intimate moment with Jesus Christ and kneeling at his feet and tears are falling down and she's washing the dirt off of his feet with her hair. The scary. And it's because it makes us vulnerable. And vulnerable means we're gonna be hurt, right? I mean, we're scared of being hurt. Probably we have made ourselves vulnerable to somebody at some point in our life, and we've been hurt over it. I, I can remember uh, having my heart broken. I mean, I thought, boyfriends, girlfriends, you know, and I know because I experienced it, they come and they go. But when I was in college one time, I had a girlfriend that I thought was the one. And I can remember my heart being broke when we broke up. It was a sad day. This is one of those times, though, like the old country song, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers because my life ended up so much better. <laughs> And now here I am 20 years later and I'm like, man, I made the right choice. God knew what he was doing. He brought us together. But we're scared to be hurt. Think about the woman in our scripture, a woman of ill repute, a woman who had a reputation. She had sin in her life that made her unworthy to touch the Messiah. By her very touching him, he became unclean. Like she shouldn't have been anywhere around him. A lot of us put up walls to protect ourselves. The difference between a fan and a follower, a follower knows there's so much more to be gained by that level of intimacy with God. And a fan isn't after that because they're guarding themselves. Keep my options open. Ooh, I love Jesus, but also I love some other things. Here's the last one. I told you, not gonna take too long. Fans choose knowledge. Followers embrace intimacy. In church, we've often failed to embrace intimacy with Jesus. Instead, we've created a, a system focused on knowledge and learning, much like Simon the Pharisee and his friends had done. They had uh, admittedly our default setting is knowledge, not intimacy. I mean, just think about our lives and the way we've set things up. Uh, we love having Bible studies, right? Especially the kinds with the workbook. Those are awesome. Um, I love digging into the Greek and, and the Hebrew and understanding and finding words like yada, and I'm like, wow, that's good. Like, I, you know, I like that. Uh, private Christian academies have done well, flourishing. Uh, our school here, Harvest is done amazing. We send our kids to Sunday school so they can memorize and learn scripture, get the Bible stories. It's, it's knowledge. Now, don't get me wrong. Knowledge is, is good. Studying and understanding, it, it's, it's awesome. It's, and Jesus did it. Jesus referenced, read, and quoted all kinds of scripture. Like he had studied the scripture. He knew it. But we can't replace intimacy with knowledge. We can't expect knowledge to be the foundation that we base our relationship on. It's got to be intimacy. I think sometimes we try. Knowledge is easier. For sure has less hurt. 
I know about Jesus, we can say, but listen, Jesus says, I want you to know me, yada. All right, so back to Simon. This is where we find Simon the Pharisee. He knew a lot about Jesus. In fact, he had invited him over. He calls him teacher. He's emphasizing that he's interested in learning. He's interested in knowledge, but he's not opening up to him. Not at all. Part of our scripture today, when the Pharisee who had invited him in saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So Jesus, knowing what Simon was thinking, said, look, I came in the house. You didn't give me a kiss, not even on my hand. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You gave me nothing to wash my feet with, and she is washing my feet with her tears. You gave me no olive oil for my head. She has poured perfume on my feet. And people can just see the brokenness of this woman. You can just feel that brokenness. Jesus turns to her and says, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Simon brought Jesus to the mill, but all he wanted was knowledge. He wanted to keep things shallow. He defined his relationship by not washing Jesus' feet, by not greeting him with a kiss, by not being willing to anoint his head. This woman exposed herself as much as she possibly could, made herself vulnerable, was willing to open and let Jesus know her. I wonder today, will you let Jesus know you? Will you let Jesus yada you? Will you open yourself to this intimate type of relationship that he wants to have with you? Because with that intimate relationship, with that intimate relationship comes a deep knowing and vulnerability that Jesus will never exploit but will embrace. And you just need to know that this is something only followers can experience. Fans can't. We all want that intimacy. But we're scared of it. Mm-hmm.